X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020, a year we will never forget. Today, back in the day in 1889, one of the reasons I'm able to record this podcast is the first long-distance electric power transmission line in the United States was completed, running 14 miles between a generator at Willamette Falls and downtown Portland, Oregon. On June 3, 1943, the Zoot Suit Riots, during which white U.S. servicemen and police entered a majority Mexican-American neighborhood in East L.A. where they attacked and detained hundreds of non-white youth. And three years later, June 3, 1946, today, back in the day, Morgan versus the Commonwealth of Virginia, with the Supreme Court of the United States ruled against Jim Crow segregation on interstate commerce in Morgan versus the Commonwealth of Virginia, leading to the journey of reconciliation freedom rights. The case had begun nearly two years earlier when Irene Morgan boarded a Greyhound bus in Virginia for a bus ride to her doctor. She sat in the only section she was allowed to sit. When a young white couple boarded the crowded bus and needed seats, the white driver, you know the story, told Morgan to surrender her seat and she refused. You've heard of some famous bus activists. You need to know Irene Morgan. And the Freedom Rides the next year took advantage of that Supreme Court case that segregation and interstate travel was indeed unconstitutional as an undue burden on commerce. Today on The Local, your quick six news. And after that, Cannon Ambush talked to mental health coach Philip Rountree about healthy ways to process and navigate some of the current issues facing the community, specifically the black community. And after that, an interview with one of the highest profile leaders of Portland's music community, now living in Nashville, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. We'll talk about how the music industry is handling the pandemic. And first up, today's quick six. The curfew was suspended Tuesday evening. After a generally calm night of demonstrations on Monday, Mayor Wheeler said on Tuesday morning that he would suspend the curfew. His quote, Monday night marked a significant shift in the tenor of recent demonstrations. Thousands of people gathered. They did so peacefully. They spoke truth to power. Wheeler also pushed back against Governor Kate Brown, who initially had refused his request for Oregon National Guard troops, then yesterday partially complied and then criticized him for his handling of the protests. Here's his quote. I was alarmed last night to see the governor's mischaracterization of the city's request for the National Guard. He insisted he was asking for troops to guard buildings and free up law enforcement officers for both arrest and crowd control. Listeners to the local remember their back and forth when the news reported it was in fact Wheeler that had pressured Kate Brown based on her critique that she had been slow to order a shutdown in response to COVID-19. And in the back and forth, don't lose sight that there are many organizations in Portland fighting systemic racism, and now is one of the chances to help. Many are running on shoestring budgets. Again, if you can, support groups like the Portland NAACP, the Urban League of Portland, Kairos PDX, the Black Lives Matter Portland Chapter, Generational Resistance PDX, and Don't Shoot Portland. And again, you can donate to the GoFundMe for the PDX Protest Bail Fund, which covers the bail and other expenses for Portland protesters. And once you donate, you'll be on the list. When you're on the list, you can follow up. And folks, if you do go out, be prepared for safe protesting. And your bridge opening and closing report, the Hawthorne Bridge is closed to westbound traffic at the request of Portland police as part of the security measures for the downtown protest. Bridge sidewalks and eastbound lanes are open. Westbound lanes likely close until later this week. Morrison is your alternative route. And the protests Tuesday night were not without incident. Alex Zelinsky, our friend of the Portland Mercury, tweeted that officers shot tear gas from behind the crowd, requiring people to walk through the cloud of gas to escape. And some in the crowd were picking up canisters and throwing them back at police. The fog of protests, indeed. Your daily dose of data, Oregon's death toll did increase to 157 on Tuesday and 33 new cases, bringing the total number of confirmed cases to 4,335. 
The Oregon Health Authority reported a coronavirus outbreak at Bob's Red Mill in Milwaukee on Tuesday. The outbreak investigation began on May 27th. In a statement, the company said that 14 workers are home quarantining with full pay. OHA said the risk to the public from the outbreak is low and it will release additional information Given the incubation period of about five days for COVID-19, we don't yet know the impact of the protests might have had on spiking cases. The protests stretched into their fifth day on Tuesday. Thousands of demonstrators have taken part in Salem and Eugene. They're out there in Hermiston and Pendleton. Many have worn protective face masks, but social distancing has not largely been practiced. Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty said at a press conference on Monday, after three nights of thousands of people side by side, I am very concerned that COVID-19 will be exacerbated in Multnomah County. And it will be exacerbated because we know that black and brown people suffer three times harsher outcomes with COVID-19 than the white population. During that Monday press conference, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Cafori said the county still expects to submit an application Friday with June 12th as the reopening date. The year's 2020, and choosing between justice and health is no fair choice. And let's pause before we criticize those who make their choice. The new Oregon employment director has taken office. David Gerstenfeld took the helm of the department over the weekend after Governor Brown asked former Director Kay Erickson to resign. Remember, the department revealed that only about half of the 445,000 people who have applied for benefits since mid-March have received those benefits. Gerstenfeld has led two divisions in the department previously, including the Unemployment Insurance Division. He told lawmakers on Monday the department is getting close to picking a vendor to do the multi-year modernization of the agency's outdated computer system. Reminder, I just got to keep reminding people, when the last employment director lost their gig in 2016, it was because of the outdated computer system. Modernizations of big computer systems take a long time. Easier if that starts in 2016 or 2017 than if it starts in 2020 or 2021. And the Oregon POC Caucus, the People of Color Caucus in the Oregon legislature, has proposed three new police accountability measures. As demonstrations have erupted across the nation in response to the killing of George Floyd, some Oregon leaders are speaking up. State Senator Lou Frederick and the People of Color Caucus announced on Tuesday will ask the legislature to take at least three specific actions. The first is Senate Bill 1567. Why does the number matter? Well, it makes it easier to go to OLIS, it's a website, and search the bill. And you can look at all the bill history. It's all public information. And that bill that Frederick introduced in the last session, the session pro four, would prohibit an arbitrator from lessening disciplinary action against a law enforcement officer if it is determined the officer has committed misconduct. The caucus will also be advancing a new legislative concept that would require the attorney general to investigate and prosecute, if needed, any death or serious physical injury as a result of law enforcement action. This is a little bit like what we've seen in Minneapolis. I don't know if you caught this, but if you read the complaint by the Hennepin County DA in Minneapolis, it looked like the kind of complaint by a DA who did not want to convict those officers. And so Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, former member of Congress, took on the case. That bill would mean a similar dynamic would happen in Oregon. And third, the caucus has requested a bipartisan work group to recommend wholesale changes to state law regarding physical force by law enforcement to try to get to a bill by the 2021 legislative session. That's the next one. And here's Lou Frederick's quote. The issue is simply two words, accountability and trust. Both are broken. It will take a major effort to establish them in our society. The myth that the system was sound has been overturned. Now the work begins. We'll be talking to Senator Frederick soon, and of course, we'll be following those bills. And the Oregon State Parks have announced layoffs amid a $22 million budget shortfall. Oregon State Parks are reopening, but the agency that manages them is hurting for money. Oregon Parks and Rec announced on Tuesday it would lay off 47 full-time workers by June 30th, in addition to the 338 seasonal workers that will not be rehired this year. 
So far, only 77 of 415 seasonal positions have been filled. The reason for the staff reduction? That $22 million budget shortfall between now and next June due to the economic collapse. Unlike other state agencies, the Parks Department is not funded by tax dollars. It's funded by a trio of separate revenue sources. Get ready to be nerdy. Here's the three. Oregon lottery funds, camping and parking fees, and RV registration fees. The layoffs mean reduced services at day-use sites and campgrounds. That means less trash collection, less cleaning of the restrooms, and less maintenance overall. And some good news. Although it's not in Oregon, Ella Jones became the first African-American and first woman elected mayor of Ferguson. It's been commented a bunch that what's happening in the country right now is like what happened in Ferguson, but in cities all over. Well, yesterday, Councilwoman Ella Jones became the first elected mayor of Ferguson on Tuesday, becoming the first African-American to lead that city in its history. When interviewed about it afterwards, she said, it's just our time. It's just my time to do right by the people. When asked what her election means for Ferguson's black residents, she responded one word, inclusion. And in even more local good news, 26 Oregon seniors from 18 high schools have won the highest tier of scholarship awarded by the National Merit Scholarship Corporation. They get picked based on grades, difficulty of courses, test scores, and essay and recommendations from a teacher at their high school. Here are their names. From Westview High School, Suyan Choi, Kija Lu, Anwesha Mukherjee, Nicholas Tan. From Beaverton High School, Yina Wu. From Century High School, Mateus Wilson. And from Glencoe, Nasala Kalapahana. From Jesuit, Rupert Lee. From Lake Oswego, Selena Zhang. From Lincoln High School, Abani Neferkara. From OES, the Oregon Episcopal School, Zoe Strothkamp. From Sunset, Connor Shu. From Tualatin, Amber June. From Wilsonville High School, Allie Finkbeiner. And the rest of this year's winners from beyond the Portland area, from Baker Early College in Bend, Lane Bonard of Bend, South Eugene Jane Brinkley, Druthi Mondavilli, Joanne Wang, Leo Yao. From Crescent Valley, Pranav Kaluri, Leonardo Sun. From Oak Hill and Eugene, Daisy Mayer Hagen. From McMinnville, Jordan Brantner. Mountain View High School in Bend, Liam Crafton and Ethan Graham. And from South Salem High School, Julie Chen. Congratulations to all the graduates. We say those names in part because we can't read every name of every kid that graduated. But you got hosed out of a graduation this year. We love you and congratulations. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilland with What's Next. Thanks, Jefferson. First up, a conversation with Ambush and Can Jones from partner station The Numbers with Philip Roundtree, founder of Quadify LLC. The conversation focuses on the unique mental health needs of black and brown folks, addressing generational trauma and the manifestations of crushing stress from daily life under racial oppression. It's time to remove stigma and talk about mental health. You can find Philip's podcast, hashtag you good man, on podcast platforms. So you make a point to mention black mental health. What are some of the characteristics that are unique to our mental health experience? So I, I think the, the biggest difference is the idea of, of trauma and, and the impact of trauma. Now, everybody experiences trauma, you know, across, across the racial and ethnic spectrum. But our trauma is something um, that's unique because it's been occurring for, you know, hundreds of years. Right. So, you know, we're talking about historical trauma from uh, when we were enslaved. Then we start moving forward. We go through Jim Crow. We go through the civil rights movement. We go up until uh, yesterday, you know, and what's been taking place across different cities. I live in Philly, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for those who are, are, aren't in the know of what Philly is. Right. Hey, uh, hey. Um, but, you know, we're, we're seeing these, these this tragic imagery that's been taking place. We understand um the the trauma when it's 
Now, not only talking about just murder and what have you, we're talking about the wealth disparity that exists amongst between black and white folk, right? Like that's traumatic if, and it impacts our well-being. So it's the idea of trauma being anything, anything that adversely uh, impacts our ability to not only live, but our ability to thrive. And I think it's important. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you are making that distinction. I think it's very important to constantly remind people that, there are some very unique experiences that affect us differently because, you know, we're talking about the black experience. So there's specific trauma um, that we, that we endure on a daily basis that might not be directly tied to any huge incident, but just, you know, I was uh, having a conversation with a friend last week and was like, I saw a cop two blocks back. My head's on a swivel period, just because he's in track that, officers in traffic two blocks behind me yeah you know like you know there's a history associated it's it's interesting to uh in just the way in which we carry it and there's a certain um desensitization that comes with it and then it finds ways to rear its head (laughs) in weird times and also in weird ways and you know i think about it in this context of I got a tooth injury from hooping when I was a teenager, right? And when I went in for one of my most uh, recent x-rays at the dentist, he talked about my tooth, like asking if I was in pain over it and told him, no, I've never really had an issue outside of maybe that first six months. And he was saying that there's a good possibility that if I happen to stub my toe hard one day, my body's gotten so used to that going on (laughs) in my tooth. If it went to my foot, then... I would start hurting in my mouth, meaning mm. that pain would come back <laughs> because I've gotten yeah. so used to it and kind of wow. numb to it. And I think about that and kind of the way that we move through life, just carrying the weight of stuff. And then uh, an occurrence happens and now it all comes out. Yeah. And I, and I think that's why, you know, like I, I see all this looting. I say, granted, you know, it's, it's not just black folk who are out here looting, no matter what the media tries to portray um, or who out here who are out here committing quote unquote violence. Like, I, you know, I take those terms serious. Right. So I, I don't just like to just use them all willy nilly. Right. But what's what's taking place for a lot of people is you're, you're seeing the manifestation of a lot of anger, of a lot of rage, of, you know, 15 years, 20 years, 35 years in my case, 50 years of people who have been um, internalized, who've had to be resilient by force, right? And so they are internalizing all of their experiences. What you're talking about is uh, the body keeping score, yes. right? And so it's this book, it's this book called by, by some white cat because he got a he got a Vaughn in his name, right? So it's a Vaughn something. So you, you got to be white, uh, but you know, it talks about how your body remembers everything. Right. And it, it stores it in different places. So we're talking about it stores in your mind, it stores in your gut. Right. A lot of people don't know a lot of our emotional reactions are partially uh, triggered by our gut. Right. Because, again, all this tension and everything is is stored within the body. And so it has to come out. It, it, there's no way of of keeping it in at some point it will manifest itself for some people it's picking up a vice it's, it's drinking it's drugging for some you know a lot of brothers i have these conversations with this promiscuity right it's it's going to come out in some way and and you the only thing you hope is that it comes out in a healthy way um and not a maladaptive way that might connect that might could get you killed when we talk about 
uh, black boys and black men, like our our depression and anxiety doesn't necessarily manifest itself in in sitting in the room in, in our room for three or four days, right? That happens at times. Me being somebody who lives with it, but a lot of other times it manifests itself through anger and rage. And so anger and rage meets somebody who's not a, aware, uh, who understands and that that this individual might be triggered from a past experience or just from, from um, having the experience of living with depression and anxiety. It's a combustible situation. So nah, man, you, you right on point with it where, you know, the body knows. So we, we got to have, I'm glad we got right here because we have a habit of, you know, really being hard on each other and very so often and i find myself doing it for decades saying like it's something wrong with black people something wrong with black people and and while that may be true there isn't enough of the follow-up conversation to talk about what is actually illing us what is actually wrong with us can you talk a little bit about generational trauma you know as it relates specifically to the african-american experience and having that you know that not just that muscle memory but that mental you know, uh, uh, experience being passed down. Yeah, you know, it's you know, Bell Hooks talks about the idea. She called watch well, always mess up the the acronym, whatever. But white supremacy, uh, capitalism, patriarchy that we all live in, and we're all we all experience the effects of it. And and what that what that looks like is just the 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 years and decades and centuries of oppression. So again, we talk about the manifestation of it. Um, you know, if we go back to, to during the slavery period, right, where black men couldn't emote, they couldn't sit and cry. Why? Because that could mean the difference between life or death. And so we look at a young fella that's walking around uh, who's not smiling, who's who's uh, who's angry, who's not emoting. It's like, no, young fella, you got to smile. It's just like, no, nah, we're talking about survival here. Right. It's no difference than than, you know, 400 years ago and today. When survival is the name of the game, it, the, you know, the space might not be safe enough for somebody to, to truly emote. It's not necessarily about black men, right? Yes, George Floyd was a black man who was, you know, killed, who was murdered by the police. But this is a, an attack on blackness, right? And so I see a lot of people, you know, we need to focus on our black men. And I'm like, listen, they, they're killing our black women. They're killing our trans women. They're killing our trans men. But our black boys and black girls are going to elementary schools that have asbestos, 10 and 15 schools that have asbestos, which are killing our black youth. The number one reason for black boys going into the emergency room, again, here in Philadelphia, is due to asthma, right? And so when we're talking about the war on blackness, that's that, that that manifests itself across all of these situations. But we get so caught up a lot of times in the trauma Olympics, what I call it. Right. And so if we can look at it from a perspective of blackness being attacked, yeah. we really be able to, to do something. But again, that's another conversation for another day. Phil, thank you so much, man. Oh, no doubt, brothers. Thank you for having me. Next up, an interview with Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Portia and Jefferson discuss acronyms like MMA, which in this case isn't mixed martial arts, and get deep on how the music industry and its revenue are evolving in exciting ways. You can find Portia's podcast on the music business called The Future of What on xraypod.com. Dr. Sabin, good morning. 
Good morning, Jefferson. How are you? I am well. I don't know that I ever knew that I was supposed to call you Doctor Saban until the <laughs> until our intrepid news prep team told me so. Oh well, you know I like it. I can't. I can't lie. <laughs> Music business it so took a lot of work. <laughs> I, right, you know, you had to get a PhD from Columbia, or like a fancy, smart person. Anthropology. This was the. This was the degree. Yeah, anthropology and education. That was the degree. I might want to ask about that, but I want to start asking about how are you doing? How are you holding up through all this? Oh, well, you know, it's a hard time for everybody. I'm holding up as well as can be expected for someone with a school-age child in the house. Uh, I think there's a special, I think there's a special level for people who have school-age children because it just is, you know, it's something to try to hold down a full-time job and also suddenly be a homeschooler. And um, I was, yeah, no end in sight. So that's that's entertaining. But you know, I certainly have it better than most people, so I'm not going to complain. Is there school still happening? And is school done by you, or is you just help facilitate some online education through the public school system? How's that playing out? Well, the unfortunate part is that um, Nashville public schools were not prepared for this, so they did not have an online program ready to go, and because of equity issues, which I agree with, um, they chose not to introduce online school. So basically my, my son was just dropped in March with no school prospects whatsoever. Um, so my husband and I had to cobble together a series of um, things to, for him to do to actually have school uh, up until the end of school, which was last week. So he is now free, um, which really looks a lot like when he was in school. And now it's the summer when he, you know, <laughs> basically the same. He's <laughs> now he's home, basically and he was home last same. week too. Exactly. Yeah. For those who don't know, Portia Saban was the president. Uh, was the head of the label Kill Rock Stars. Got hired by the Music Business Association. Headed out to Nashville. How has that move been for you? What's the culture shift from the Pacific Northwest, from the Portland area? I think you were just north of the wall in the in Southwest Washington, uh, and then worked in Portland. I think I have that right. Uh, yep. The uh, and talk about the culture shift between here and where you are now. Well, it. I love Nashville. I had no idea. I didn't really know much about Nashville. I'd visited a couple times, but you know that doesn't tell you a lot about a town. Um, this town is really small, which I love. It's so easy to get around. Of course, now I don't have to go anywhere, so that's sort of that that benefit is everywhere is easy to get around. Everywhere in America is easy to get around. <laughs> it's really easy to get around. But it's beautiful here. The people are super friendly. You know, I miss Portland, of course. Um, you know, so many great people in Portland. So many great things in Portland. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if if I have to be stuck in a house, I'm happy. It's um, you know, this house. So doing all right. How would you characterize the impact on the business community, excuse me, on the music industry and the music community right now? Well, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, parts of the music industry and the music community have been completely devastated by this, you know, venues, independent record stores and artists and songwriters, um, you know, have been deprived of making a living. Other aspects of the industry you know the um streaming services um you know several other several other players are are actually doing pretty well so you know in in this current 
climate, it's kind of nice because the people who are doing well are able to extend a helping hand to the people who are not doing well. And there's been so much of that. You know, all the COVID relief funds that have popped up from, you know, every major CSP, um, you know, Facebook has done a lot of relief stuff. And then, of course, Music Cares. Um, so the trade associations have gotten involved as well. So, you know, it's it's very heartwarming right now. I think we're in a special time. Um, I think with the passage of the MMA two years ago, that really took uh, a lot of people coming together to make it happen. And it sort of um, created this new era of togetherness in the music industry where people are, are sort of working together and, and thinking of our, ourselves as a community and thinking about ways to grow the pie rather than just hang on to their own little slice. And that really set us up well for a pandemic. I mean, if we we're going to have a pandemic, now was the time to do it. I always think if this was 20 years ago, we would have all been much worse off. Let's pause there um, for a second and talk about the MMA. Give people the background on that. So the MMA is a piece of legislation that was passed um, that created the Mechanical Licensing Collective, which gives uh, a statutory royalty to songwriters and publishers for streaming music. So that's a new source of revenue that never existed before. It kind of matches the revenue that you get on the master side for streaming music that's collected by sound exchange. So artists and, and labels uh, know what sound exchange is because they've been paying you guys for the last 10 years. Well, now you're going to get this other income stream from the Mechanical Licensing Collective starting in, I think it's 2021, that they're scheduled to start paying out. Um, and, and in order to get the MMA passed uh, by Congress, there was a massive lobbying effort in which everybody came together to pull that off. The labels, the publishers, the songwriters. I mean, really all the players in the industry had to sort of set aside their differences and work together to get that in front of Congress in a way that Congress could understand and eventually pass. So it was quite inspiring, the passage of the MMA. What's the most significant outcome? I think I think the well I think the togetherness is a very significant outcome. I think the you know the feeling of unification in the industry is a big one, um, and then of course the the statutory royalty is a huge one. You know to to create another income stream that has never existed before but should exist is uh, is massive for the industry. And and you know the songwriters in particular are people who need another source of income because a songwriter isn't necessarily also a performer. So whereas, you know, performers can play songs and go on the road, I mean, in different times and make money in, uh, from live shows, um, you know, songwriters don't necessarily make that money. So this is another income stream for them. Any lessons for good? You know, we're doing this uh, house show series and shout out to Falcon Art, shout out to Dave Dahl, shout out to Brian Wanamaker, shout out to sponsors so that any donation that comes in uh, during those shows goes straight to artists and to people impacted by COVID-19. Any lessons or best examples of these digital concerts often done on Zoom or through Facebook Live or, uh, or through YouTube. Uh, any examples you think people should check out or ways if, if there's an artist who's wanting to do one and wants to do it sort of in a smart, innovative way? Any examples you might share with them or lessons? Um, you know, I, I know that what's interesting is the proliferation of platforms that have sort of popped up overnight that people are, are utilizing for that um, and I know I just saw this morning that um, there's some new ways to monetize your live stream. So you know I, I think that for artists they need to sort of stay on top of it. One way they can do that is they can come to musicbiz.org. We have a whole section 
on COVID relief resources that we constantly update. So anything that's new and current, you're going to find there. Um, and, you know, be creative, be innovative, but look and see what's out there, what, what people are putting out, because new stuff is coming up every single day, you know, new ways for people to do, you know, a show or monetize the things that they currently have. How's, how is it to leave Kill Rockstars? What's happening there? Any updates? Well, I, you know, I turned it over to my husband, so technically it's, it's not that far house. away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is uh, not a problem. Um, so, you know, I've been here to answer questions for him just like he was when I took over from him 13 years ago. We've just passed it back and forth. Um, and, you know, it's great to have a family business. I think that that's what this has really evolved into for us. Um, and it's, you know, because we both feel very close to it and, and uh, you know, it, it's fun that, you know, we have the bands he signed and the bands I signed, you know, um, it's just great. I mean, it's always going to be a part of my life, and that's nice. You know, my son, who's nine, says that he's going to grow up and run the label someday, and I'm like, man, I hope so, but I don't you're, know. You're not sure if he's, I mean, he's getting homeschooled. I don't know how good his education system is, I, and we don't know how exactly, good his teachers I'm are. I'm sure his education is going <laughs> to prepare him for this. What's the next project you're excited about as we wrap? Couch Camp next week. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see how that goes. It's going to be fascinating. It's, you know, and, and it's, we're, we're piloting ways to monetize some online virtual events that I think can be really great. So I want to make sure that everybody, you know, everybody finds it worthwhile and interesting and, and then we can move forward with the future. June 2nd to 5th via Zoom. You can check it out at musicrow.com. I think that's right. You can also, I suspect, if you Googled Couch Camp, you'd get it. You can also find more resources at musicbiz.org, including COVID-19 resources. Portia, anything I should have asked? Dr. Saban, excuse me. Dr. Saban, <laughs> is there anything I should have asked you that I failed to? No, but I miss Portland. I miss everybody there. So, I, you know, it's so nice to talk to you guys and know that, that listeners in Portland are hearing my voice. I think about you guys all the time. Well, we miss you, too. Of course, if you're in town, we still wouldn't get to see you. It would still be at yeah. some Zoom call or something. <laughs> but stay safe. Keep educating your children. Maybe someday he'll be ready to run the, run the label. Exactly. Thank you, Jefferson. Take care. Thanks to Can, Philip, Ambush, and Portia for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Story ideas or organizations who need shouts out and need support, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. We gotta be together while we're apart. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-ray.